0: I'm Mike Gorman, and you're listening to the Celtics Pod podcast for Celtics Blog. Here's your host, Adam Taylor.
1: Good morning, Celtics fans. Hope everybody's doing well. It's been a wild weekend. Probably started on Friday, but we can include Friday as a weekend. I mean, for me, it's part of the weekend, especially after that clock. It's 5 p.m. As usual, I'm joined by Mr. Greg Menakis and Mr. Will Weir's jumped on to make this a three-man podcast, because to be quite honest, we need as many opinions as possible with everything that's going on. What's going on, my guys?
0: Not much, bro. Happy to be here. I think this is the third pod in a row that's been a three-man pod. I'm liking it. I'm getting into a good rhythm here.
2: Yeah, yeah we, we got the it. chemistry going. Three-man weave, baby.
1: Three-man weave. That's what we should call these episodes. The three-man weave. That's it now. So, I like you it. Know, that from now on, the three man weave. That if the three of us are on, we're gonna have to kind of put that into the description or figure. I can't remember the last time I did a three man weave. I don't even know if I could still do it. I'll be out of breath. So quick. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's funny, man. Because I'm a basketball coach here in Texas, and one of the first things that I do, you know, when kids come to tryouts, is I just like put them through a three man weave. And if they can't get through the three man weave, I'm like, you don't have a shot at making the team, man. There's some kids that will come up to me at at the school. And they'll be like, coach, I hear I hear you're the basketball, I hear you the basketball coach. Like I can really hoop. I can really hoop. I'm like, all right. Like you look like you might be able to hoop, but let's just wait until we get on the court. Get on the court. These kids do the three man weave. They're like, mm-hmm. you know, they they pass the ball to the to the right and they just run down the middle instead of following the pass behind. And I'm like, all right, man, you ain't you ain't making it. I'm sorry. Yeah. I know players yeah.
1: like rather than hoopers, then. Is this what's going on? Yeah, that's exactly game?
0: where I was going with this. <laughs> what are you gonna say?
1: Are they basketball players rather than hoopers? Is this the problem?
0: Um, they're just like overly confident kids from the hood. <laughs> <laughs> they, they
2: never really played organized basketball. probably because that's like the first thing is like, all right, where of like, what's the, one of the first drills you do when you're on a team, like as a little kid, it's like layup lines and then like three man weave and Mike and drill. Those are like the three things that you learn. So when it's like, as a coach, you're like, all right, you want to play high school ball? Let's see if you can do these three drills. And that will tell me at least where we're starting from.
0: Yeah, yeah like I they can grew- they can play 21. That's about
1: it. Yeah, but that's the thing, right? I grew up playing streetball. That was how I learned how to play basketball. So I remember being in my first, like, organized basketball setting. I was, like, 14, maybe 13. Like, a bit of an attitude on me because I was, like, I can squat everyone on the team I'd beat in, like, streetball games and stuff. So I was, like, yeah, I'm already the, I'm already the star. You do, you just don't know it yet. And the coaches put, like, the, you know how to put the cones in the chairs and they're, like, right, you got to dribble in and out the cones then cross over at the chair and then lay up. Well, he never said just a, st- a basic crossover. That's not what he said. So, do you remember the um, the and one crossover where you put it behind your back and then it'll come back through the leg? So, like right hand round your back through your right leg. You, yeah. Um I, I did that like in in the and he chewed me out, dude. Like, um, <laughs> he was like, "You're not in the NBA. Who do you think you are?" I'm like, <laughs> he's not made, made me run suicides, and it's that initial like uh, change from being on the street to playing that organized basketball that. Uh, it, it's a completely different style of game. Like, you can't just walk in there and think that because you can put up buckets on a guy in, in yeah. a game of horse that you can now come and
2: play some legit five-on-five. It don't work that way. Yeah, you should have looked your coach in the face and said, I'm Adam and Taylor. That's I just said, I, said
1: am, I'm, I, I was just like, I'm your new star. <laughs> like, not, not today, you're not doing your running suicide. And I'm like, that's fine. I love it, I love it. I didn't play for them for very long. <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, enough talk about us. Enough talk about high school basketball. There's some legit NBA moves going on at the moment. Uh, my phone—I remember, I think waking up at randomly at like three AM on like Saturday morning, so that's like ten PM Boston time, and my phone's just got a bunch of notifications, and then it's like Josh Richardson's been acquired, or the Celtics are in the process of acquiring Josh Richardson. I'd gone to sleep under Ken, um, Kendrick, and I wish on the Chris Dunn news you know and um the who was it Bruno Fernando and so I'm like, OK, so what's going on here? But obviously you don't see the full package because the teams are still trying to figure that out. If I'm not mistaken, I don't think that crystal move has still been figured out yet. I haven't. Seen yeah. Uh, Keith
2: Smith put out a tweet earlier today that there's still something that they're working on finalizing. No idea what that means. Uh, I've been checking my phone and Twitter here as we're going through, see if anything comes through. But uh, I know that was a tweet that Keith had sent out earlier this morning.
1: So I think the first thing we need to do is premise this. Like by the time you listen, it's most likely going to have been sorted out. But we're recording at roughly 2.40, 3.40 Eastern time, 2.40 um, wherever time you guys are. What time, yeah. what, what time zone are you guys on? You get we're in it. the central time zone. There we go. 2.40 Central, 3.40 Eastern on a Sunday afternoon for you guys. It's an evening for me. How are we feeling? Like, okay, so let's break these trades down trade by trade and go from there, right? So we see Chris Dunn coming in. How do we feel? We'll go individually. So how do we feel on Chris Dunn?
0: Well, I think it's important to to like preface everything with the caveat that we don't know if Chris Dunn is going to be on this team, right? I think there are some reports out there that Chris Dunn of the two pieces that we've acquired is is the most likely to be moved. It doesn't look like Josh Richardson is someone we're acquiring to move. It's like someone they were acquiring to actually be part of the rotation. But with Chris Dunn, you know, he's obviously somebody that was, you know, pretty high pedigree, lottery pick, uh, local kid. I think he went to Providence, right? So a lot of people were clamoring for him to actually be drafted over Jalen Brown. You know, like he had a pretty, um, pretty solid reputation coming out of school. Uh, The playmaking really hasn't, Developed in the NBA, but the one thing that has stuck is his defensive reputation. He's got great defensive chops, got great defensive measurables, good IQ. Um, if you're thinking that Chris Dunn is going to be like a Marcus Smart uh, tag team partner, in my opinion, he's not on that level. What makes Marcus Smart special is his tenacity and his ability to guard up. I think Chris Dunn is somebody that's uh, above average to good defender, and I'd say Marcus Smart is probably a good to great defender. So I think he's one level below that. Um, he, to me, he's just someone that's going to fill out the back end of the rotation. I don't think Chris Dunn is going to be getting a lot of minutes with the team if he does stay stay with the squad. I wouldn't ima- imagine more than 10 to 15 minutes a game. Um, I wouldn't want him playing over somebody like Romeo Langford or Aaron Neesmith. He's more of an insurance policy. Think think what Jeff Teague uh, should have been for the team last year. That's kind of where I see Chris Dunn.
2: Yeah, it's, it, I, think, Greg, you, I think you you got to sum that up pretty well. Number one, this feels like, on the whole, while we're still talking about just Chris Dunn, it feels like these are all moves to a to a larger picture, right? Like this doesn't feel complete. So, for Chris for Chris Dunn right now, looking at it as it's presently constituted, I think it's a move on the margins. I don't think it was more meant for more cap flexibility, more roster flexibility, and you know that's the one thing without us knowing how Brad Stevens and this front office are going to operate. That's the one thing we've heard time and time again. Is flexibility the ability to be able to support the Jays and keep that cap room to to a space in which they can make another move to strengthen out this roster? So Chris Dunn on the court, Greg, I think you kind of nailed like his actual game, his maturation, you know how he came in out of Providence, number five pick. Um, You know it's nice to have a guy that that's at the back end of that bench you can go to in a game where maybe everyone's not healthy or you need to get some extra minutes because I think one thing that we can read into this trade or adding Chris Dunn is that when we sat here at all different times throughout the season, what's Brad's rotation like? Who's it going to be that we're going to go to at the back end? And, you know, you can clearly see he's trying to give, you know, Ime the the Chris Vernon special, guys who don't stick. Just trying to get you guys that you can put in in different places that can actually give you minutes, real minutes in an NBA game. They might not be the guy, but they are a guy that you can play out there. And that's what I think Chris Dunn is for now – but, I mean, honestly, the telltale sign if he's going to stick with the Celtics or not is if Adam decides to write an in-depth article about him because then most likely oh. that's, a, that's a guarantee sign-off that he's not going to be on this team. I was very sad about that. We'll get to that. I'm, I was
1: very. Uh, I kind of looked at myself in the mirror for a moment. Like that was a lot of work, and
2: it, it, it went down the hill quite quickly. And then you add in the whole Rubio thing too, man. It's just like it's like oh, two, in, two two in a week with the deep dives that are not going to be on the Celtics. I know, but you know
1: what? That's part and parcel of the game, right? Like you know that when you're coming into it, of all the people that you break down, like they could end up being signed and traded. They could get traded, get cut. It's just part and parcel of what of the game. For me, like when we're talking about Chris Dunn, the biggest plus for me if he does remain on the roster is now when Marcus Smart goes to the bench, assuming he is your starting point guard, you have an option to kind of make... ensure that that defensive drop-off isn't as um, prominent as what it was last season, right? Like Marcus Smart went to the bench and you were bringing on Jeff Teague, who was just an absolute turnstone on defense. You were bringing on Peyton Pritchard, who... For all credit to Peyton Pritchard, he's very tenacious defensively. He just lacks the physical attributes to really shore up uh, a point of attack defense on the perimeter. Bringing in someone like Chris Dunn ensures that when it does drop, when that defensive level does drop, it's still, as um, Greg put it, it's still above average to good. So you, you can still make sure that your perimeter defense remains sturdy, remains tough, pesky. And then obviously we can talk about Josh Richardson in a minute, but that's another defensive guy. I do have concerns about Dunn's ability to facilitate. I have a few concerns. Obviously, he's not, a, he's not a scorer, so people are always going to go underneath screens on him. They're going to sag off and wait for the dribble drive. That is an issue when you think to yourself, well, even if he does penetrate after dribble, he's not really known for facilitating there. You are bringing in a very one-dimensional guy right now that does have the potential to develop into uh, a Penetrating playmaker or somebody that can finish transition buckets further down the line. But this potential needs to be kind of put to the back burner and just really focus on what he does well, and that's defense. I'm very curious whether he remains with the Celtics, and I'm even more curious about how they use him, knowing about his limitations offensively and how they look to kind of progress those limitations uh, so they start to become more and more uh, less, sorry, less and less prominent and that, that development starts to show through. I just don't think that they needed another developmental guy. Personally, if you want defense, but you want to have some penetration and scoring, I'd much rather run Romeo at the point guard position and have Chris Dunn as a, like a break in case of emergency 13, 14, 15 guy on the roster.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with that completely. My buddy texted me. Um, he actually lives in London right now, and he was like, so what are what are we getting here? Um, you know, with with Chris Dunn, like what what is this? Why are, why are people so excited about this move? And it's like I don't think anyone's really excited about it. And if they if they are excited about it, then that they're probably just hanging on to you know the potential that he flashed at Providence and in coming into the league. Right? If you're being realistic about who he is, as you just said, he's a he's an end of the end of the bench guy. And another buddy was reaching out to me. He was like, all right, so where do we look at Chris Dunn ver- ver- versus Marcus Smart? because I know a lot of Celtics fans are kind of sick of Marcus Smart because like we know what we have with him and Chris Dunn. Um, m- maybe they haven't watched a lot of Chris Dunn, but Chris Dunn is not even, in my opinion, he's not even the same level of playmaker offensively that Marcus is. I would put Marcus probably at like a B, B-minus playmaker, and I'd say Chris Dunn's a very average playmaker around a C. He doesn't have the same um, passing ability that Marcus has uh maybe he has a little bit more shake to his game than Marcus. I think that's probably the 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 one part of the offensive arsenal that he has a little bit more. He's got a little bit more shake to him, but he he's not somebody that's going to come in, in my opinion, make a big difference. As you said, Adam, he's just going to be someone where that defensive drop off isn't you know detrimental to the team, and he he is somebody that you can definitely break in case of emergency. It's just. I, I don't I personally don't see him being on the roster. If he is on the roster, then I, I think he's filling out the 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 end of the rotation really nicely.
2: Yeah, I mean I mean something has to give here, right, with this Chris Dunn move because right now if you're looking at the main ball handlers or those that you might label as point guards, you're looking at Marcus Smart, Peyton Pritchard, Chris Dunn, and Carson Edwards. And I know we can get to wings that can handle the ball and Romeo and Josh Richardson who we just brought in. That's actually when he's been his most effective was that time in Miami where he actually had the ball in his hands a little bit that just can't be it you know what I mean like there has to be something else so I don't know I think we're going to get a lot more uh a lot more of an idea of what this picture is going to look like once it's fully constructed over the next couple of days because this is there's just more moves coming in my opinion and Chris Dunn Maybe he sticks around, but if he does, I think it's almost going to be somewhat by default. And Yeah, you can break him out, like Greg said, in case of emergency, and you'll be fine. And you got $5 million to play around with if you're trying to make something happen throughout the season. So he could be valuable in in that sense. But, uh, you know, he'll he'll be a fringe guy. We'll see what happens. But uh, I don't think anything. I think the Celtics roster is far from being fully constructed at this point.
1: Oh, yeah, it's very fluid. It's uh, fluid like water. We just don't know who's going to be here tomorrow, who's not going to be here Another guy that got bought in was Bruno Fernando. If we want to talk about guys that aren't going to see playing time, that are going to be very fortunate to even still be on the roster, Fernando's another one of those guys. Uh, He was struggling to see minutes pretty much ever since he's been in the NBA. I'm not exactly thrilled about him being here, but I'm okay with him being another breaking case of glass emergency guy. I think that when you look at the Celtics bench last year and how much youth there was, you were going to... Brad Stevens had to go to guys that had no track record in the NBA. There was no proof that these guys are proven NBA talents. They're just, here you go, Brad. Here's a bunch of young guys. Let's see which ones are going to work. What Brad's doing for MA at the moment is, as uh, you said earlier with the Chris Vernon especially saying, look, these guys aren't great. We know they're not great. That's why they run short-term, one-year deals for very little money. But what they are going to give you is NBA know-how. They know what mm. to expect when they step on the floor. They're used to the physicality. They're used to the crowds being obnoxious and abusive or whatever it may be, depending on the city. Um, they it, Everything kind of doesn't phase them because they're two, three, four, five years within their career. And I think that's super important, especially for the end of bench guys because you're only going to them for two reasons. One, you're incredibly far ahead or incredibly far behind, one of the two. Or two... There's an injury crisis and you've got no choice but to plug somebody into a position that they can fill because your first and second options are unavailable. Maybe it's due to COVID, travel, sickness, whatever it may be. And it's much healthier for MA to be able to rely on guys that have that experience rather than what Brad had in his last year where he was just literally throwing unknown prospects onto the floor and then being slandered for, for doing it as well.
0: Yeah, and I think um, you know what you talk about. Ime bringing in guys that he can trust. I think that's a, a great transition into Josh Richardson, right? Because Ime actually coached Josh Richardson in Philly, and if you're bringing in Josh Richardson, I think that you, you know you, you're bringing in Ime first of all to 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 trust his opinion on guys with uh, around the league and his ability to form those relationships. And if he's giving you the go-ahead on bringing Josh Richardson onto the roster, to me, that's a great sign for what Ime thinks he can get out of Richardson based on his time with him in Philly. Um, You know, We can get into all the Josh Richardson um, pros and cons here in a minute, but to me, that's the biggest thing that stood out to me. If you're going to bring in Josh Richardson and Ime Adoka is signing off on it, that tells me that he thinks he's someone that, for whatever reason, had a down year and that's someone that we can kind of look as a reclamation project
2: yeah i mean i I I think the the uh, past relationship that you're referring to i think is a huge piece of this and you know he's only got one year left on that deal and so when you add josh richardson to this mix all of a sudden the celtics look very on the defensive end of the floor are very switchable and very long when you look at the jalen jason richardson Neesmith, Langford, those are all very long. and No, there's not a bad defender in the bunch. So I, I think one thing that we can see so far with what we know is that defense is definitely something that Ime that and, and President of Basketball Operations Brad Stevens are going to focus on, at least as it is right now. Now, that leads to some other concerns that I'm hoping get addressed in this next week, which I'm sure we'll get into. But, you know, it is going to be interesting to see what this Richardson piece does for the rest of this off season, because I think Greg, you mentioned this earlier, Chris Dunn, you know, Bruno Fernando, it, I wouldn't bet my life that they're going to be on this team. You know, by the time we open up training camp or open up the first game of the season, Richardson feels like a guy that will probably be on the team. So what does that mean for how the rest of this off season plays out? I think will be really interesting. I think the first thing you need to
1: look at there is you're adding more versatility to the rotation. Now you can slide Jalen up to three. You can slide um, Tatum up to the four. You're adding defensive versatility as well. If you need somebody to be a point of attack defender on a wing and slide up and defender a three or slide down and defend a guard, then you can do that with uh, Richardson. You're adding some, you know, Richardson's a three-level scorer. He's league average around the cup, around the rim, um, and then again outside on the perimeter. So for me, that versatility, that diversity that you can have with those rotations, whether you want him starting at the two, coming off the bench as one of your first pieces off the bench, or rotating between coming off the bench at the two, coming off at the three, possibly giving him some ball handling duties at the one. There's so many different avenues that you can go down with Josh Richardson that it starts to feel like Brad Stevens is prioritizing. And I think it was Keith Smith that tweeted this out on Saturday. Um, Brad Stevens is saying, hey, we're not going to be a great NBA offense, but we can be an elite NBA defense. And if you guys remember, I've kind of said this a few times now, uh, one of the biggest things Stevens kind of hit on multiple times in press conferences last year was a lack of length. We're, we're not very long. That's all he kept saying. We're not very long, so we need to fight more. It's very... Interesting to me that the first couple of trades he's made have all come in and added length to that defensive perimeter, to the perimeter defense and interior. If you want to look at Al Horford. so and then obviously Moses Prime was longed as hell, but he's been gone since now. <laughs> your boy, um, yeah, now. dude, he was he's he's gone. Um, you we know, barely you knew you. time, Moses, yep, best NBA, best Celtics player ever. Never did anything. <laughs> like that. Uh, obviously, I'm joking but i think that that's where my kind of take comes from just additional length additional versatility and some raster flexibility in terms of how you want to plug and play these guys
0: Definitely. And, you know, if Richardson's coming off our bench, I don't know if he's going to start or not. Right. But if he's coming off our bench, you're getting someone that, as you know, the Chris Vernon theory, he doesn't stink. Um, But he's also a pretty pretty good player. You know, he had a really bad year last year. Um, I thought he was underrated on Philly. I thought he had really big shoes to fill because he was the piece coming back in the Jimmy Butler deal. But, you know, he's averaged 13 points per game over the last two years, two years that people thought he played poorly in. And if you put those 13 points on the Celtics bench, I don't think we had anybody that averaged double digits last year off the bench. I think our leading scorer, correct me if I'm wrong, off the bench was Peyton Pritchard at seven points a game. You know, We didn't have anything coming off of our bench. So Josh Richardson is an upgrade. Let's just start right there. He is an upgrade to our roster. Now, is he going to be the guy that was – playing borderline all-star ball in Miami. I don't know about that, right? That maybe his best years are behind him, but I don't think he's as bad as he was on Dallas last year. Remember, he got a really bad case of COVID in January and then just didn't play well after that. Mm -hmm. But he was just two years ago on the Philadelphia 76ers. There was one week where he was Eastern Conference Player of the Week. And in one of those games, um, he had a really great performance against the Celtics. I even remember there was this one play at the end of the game. um, He was covering Jalen Brown, in a key moment of the game on an inbounds, right? He picked him up full court and Jalen fell over because of Richardson's physicality and the ball just went out of bounds. It was a huge turnover in a key moment of the game. And that moment's always stood out to me because I think Josh Richardson still has the defensive chops. Like we talk about um, Chris Dunn, right? He, he He has the length and all that, but he doesn't have the tenacity. I think Josh Richardson does have the tenacity of someone like Marcus Smart, um, I was watching some highlights of Richardson playing defense uh, for the Sixers a couple of years back. He was always guarding the other team's best player. He had a couple of nice blocks on Paul George. He's great at um, those chase down uh, if you're if you're in a lock and trail situation or if you go over the top of a screen, he's great at chasing down from behind and blocking the jump shot. So I think Josh Richardson, as long as we're not expecting him to be the guy he was in Miami, when you compare him to the guys that he's going to be replacing in the Celtics rotation, he's going to be a huge, huge upgrade. And I, I hope that Celtics fans don't get too too down on him early on by ha- expecting him to fill a certain role that he probably shouldn't be filling. But if you're asking him to come in and just play really solid defense and be a league average shooter, especially from three, then we're, I think we're getting a steal here.
2: Yeah, I mean, right now, if you look at it, and let's take Evan Fournier out of the scenario for just a moment here, but if you're just looking at it as Josh Richardson, and you can even throw Chris Dunn in this, are replacing semi and Jeff Teague on this roster, your roster's better. You know what I mean? If you're looking at it from that perspective, that's certainly an upgrade. I saw uh, a couple of weeks ago, I, I wish I remembered who it was, put together a five-minute video of Jason Tatum passing out of double teams to an open Semi-Ogele, semi and he missed for five straight minutes. There's five straight minutes worth of clips of him just missing three point shots. Now Josh Richardson, that's not his best role to be a knock to be, you know, a knockdown guy, but he's about the same same percentage-wise shooter as Marcus Smart, and that's going to be an upgrade over over what you get from Semi Ojale, plus his ball-handling ability, which is really, I think, when you look at his career stats, his career year in Miami, he was 16 and a half points, four assists per game, really actually handled the ball more often on the wing. He wasn't going to do that in Philly with Ben Simmons, and then certainly wasn't going to do it in Dallas with Luka Doncic, so he wasn't necessarily put in the best position offensively the last two years to be the best version of himself. The way this team is currently set up, as we talked about, they don't really we don't really have a ton of you know ball handlers that are going to take away the ball from him, and especially with some second team units, he's going to be very valuable in that role once again, which is where he was most effective. So I think, Adam, back to your point, the biggest thing with Josh Richardson is that versatility, both on offense to be able to handle the ball, and then also on defense, just with that switch ability. So I really like this Josh Richardson move. Um, I don't know if we want to start talking about what else might this the trickle effect might be of this. I don't know if we're, if we're there quite yet. But I, I think it's it's really interesting to think about, you know, what this means for Evan Fournier. That's that's the thing that I, I don't know if this means goodbye, Evan Fournier, or if they're still away. Because, I mean, the cap gets a little tricky depending on, you know, what happens here on Monday.
1: I mean, just before we go on to the Evan Fournier, I think the only other thing I kind of want to point out for Richardson, uh, for me personally was last year one thing another thing that i was really big on was a lack of secondary creation so as you say passing out of double teams onto semi and then it's just literally a catch and shoot opportunity by a poor shooter having somebody like richardson that can receive that pass out of that double team but rather than feel the need to shoot can then wait to show a bit of patience and then facilitate for somebody else to create a shot or he creates an offensive advantage himself that's a huge upgrade as well. I feel like one of the re- biggest reasons there was stagnation last year was because you had a lot of guys that need that could uh, attempt to finish plays. They weren't really play finishers. They were play-attempted finishers. But And that's just a little bit of slander, obviously. But what I'm trying to say is like being able to create for yourself and for others is a really valuable metric to start judging these guys on. So when we are looking at Josh Richardson, he can be an offensive initiator. He can be a shot creator for others. Having Tatum having that extra body to do that alongside Jalen Brown, making defenses have to wait and ponder whether Richardson's going to shoot or he's going to find somebody cutting baseline or they're going to run a Chicago or Miami set on the wings or whatever it may be. is super valuable in my opinion. And this is why I don't have too many concerns about what happens with Fournier. They definitely need a few more shooters. Um, Fournier, again, is another guy that can facilitate. He can um, create offense for himself. He can create offense for others. And he's been the second best player at the Olympics so far. Uh, Maybe KD will have an argument for that by the end of the Olympics. But I think Doncic at the moment is the clear best player at the Olympics. And Evan Fournier is doing his best to kind of earn some more money while he's playing with France. Um, I saw reports today. I don't know if you've seen them as well. And it was something like four for 80 is what Evan Fournier is looking for. That to me, the the money I've said all along, twenty million sounds about right for Evan Fournier in terms of what he could be asking for. The money itself is it's a, it's a bit of a pill to swallow, but the length is where the biggest issue for me comes. I don't think Boston want to be committing themselves to a four-year deal, mm-hmm. especially if they're chasing big game in the free agency next summer, which it does look like they're aligning themselves to do. And I think Brad Stevens will also be quite wary of signing a guy this year to trade him next and continuing that narrative of Boston doesn't do right by its players. Yeah. Everything he's done at the moment, he, he's he's situated the Celtics to look like they're changing course. It's a new leadership team. It's a new way. They're, um, they're talking to Tatum about things by all the um, quotes that we've seen. They're in, incorporating players' opinions into moves they make. It's a completely new direction. I don't think Stevens would want to risk hindering everything he's doing this year By signing someone to a deal, he has
0: no intention of keeping them for. That's fair, and I I think with if you just put them side by side, Josh Richardson one year at his contract, which is what like eleven million or something like that, and Evan Fournier four years eighty. You know, I think Fournier is a slightly better player. I don't think he's that much better than josh richardson um I, I think richardson's had a couple down years as we said so the gap seems a lot wider than it might actually be um but josh richardson at that contract one year would we'll keep the flexibility for the bradley Beal free agency um i, th- I think that's huge i, I in, in my opinion i would rather have josh richardson for one year at his contract than evan Fournier for 80
2: yeah four, four for 80 is just as Adam said, it's a tough pill to swallow. But if you're Evan Fournier, go get your money. Like, I get it. Yeah. You know what I mean? And you're, absolutely. And you're going to try and use the, the Knicks as leverage or, you know, the Mavericks. I and mean, both of those teams are, you know, are teams that could use his skill set. So I think it makes sense. And if Evan Fournier is not back, I won't be surprised. And to your, you know, I agree with Adam. It's If it was coming back for two years, 40 – I'm in. Sign me up on that. That's, you know, I, I would, the 20 million is whatever. We can get into semantics. Is he a 20 million guy? I, I mean, I probably say he's more 17 million, but really, if you're talking he's a 17 mil versus a 20 mil player, is there really that much of a difference that you're going to hold out on that? It really comes down to how long that contract's going to be on the book. So for me, now I'm looking, I'm, I'm almost pivoting my mind. It's funny because I've operated almost this whole offseason to this point as if Evan Fournier is coming back to this team. Now, with this news, it, it's, I'm almost reshifting my mindset that Evan Fournier won't be here. So we brought in Josh Richardson. Who knows if Chris Dunn or Bruno Fernando can be on the team. But as I look around, you know, I think of the main rotation for the Celtics, which Josh Richardson will be in if he's on this team. And, you know, you think of if you have a lineup of smart Richardson, the Jays and Horford or Rob Williams out there where's that shooting coming from that's off the ball from, from the Jays? You know, where's that spacing coming from? Because teams will gladly live with Smart, Richardson, and Al Horford going ahead and and, and shooting while trying to collapse down and double team on the Jays when they drive. So that worries me a little bit. So I'm, I'm interested mm-hmm. to see what the next move is. Because like we said, this it's not finished. The moves are not finished. So I want to see where the shootings come from. I don't know if you guys have any, any smaller targets because right now, We're operating with that taxpayer mid-level. I know there's some weird cap shenanigans that can happen and maybe open up some uh, the the higher mid-level at about ten million. But there's a few other things that happen have to happen to get there. So as we're operating today, it's really the the taxpayer about five six million that we're working with. I don't know. Do you guys have any theories? I honestly have no idea what's going to happen. I'm curious to know if you guys have any theories about what could be the next step, what looks to happen here on Monday or later today. I have no idea. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> literally
1: no idea that well i feel good
0: i i think the um you know the answer in terms of shooting i was i was actually thinking about that today as i was looking at josh richardson shooting numbers just real quick i just want to go over his shooting numbers last couple of years with you guys um so in dallas he took 266 threes 56 of those attempts were from the corners he was 20 percent um 20 so 20 percent from the corners of his attempts were from the corners Left corner, 37.5%. Right corner, 23%. Uh, With the Sixers that year, he took 249 threes. Only 34 of those were from the corners. That's 13% of his overall shots. 36% from the left, 33% from the right. And then the last year in Miami, 458 threes, only 79 from the corners, which was 70% of his attempts, 44 from the left corner, 26 from the right corner. So he does seem to prefer that left corner three. And if you compare that to the the shots that the Celtics get, 11% of Boston Celtics three-point attempts are from that left corner, 9% from the right corner. And so that leaves it 81% from above the break, right? So – As a team, the Celtics shot 40% from the left corner. So that's basically on par with what Richardson gives you. So depending on how you feel about that number for the Celtics, you're not really going to be losing anything in terms of what what the Celtics have gotten in the past over the past couple of years from that left corner and from the corner in general. Um, So that's one thing to consider. The other thing to consider is will Josh Richardson be a starter? Because if you're looking at what's currently on the roster and who could potentially add shooting, I think the, the answer to that, one, Peyton Pritchard, but he's too small, so you probably wouldn't start him, is Aaron E. Smith. So can Aaron E. Smith slide in and provide that shooting and take a next step to potentially be a better rotational piece in the starting lineup because of that three-point shot? So I was considering Josh Richardson, Romeo Langford, Aaron E. Smith, who would be the best of those three to actually fill out that starting five? And if Neesmith can win the job, I think that would do wonders for the team.
1: So the biggest question there is from your your train of four is taking us to no matter what happens in free agency, we're back to the same position we were mid-season last year, where internal development is realistically going to be. What benefits to Celtics or hinders to Celtics this season? How much has Neesmith adapted his game? How much has he developed his ability to get that free off against a, a closing NBA player, somebody closing out with a ridiculously large wingspan and Kawhi Leonard's hands that span the length of an NBA floor? Like how how much has he improved there? What can we expect from him as a two-way guy? Like one thing I've said was you brought in Nee Smith as a spot-up three-point shooter. He developed into a potential two-way wing. The good thing there is, regardless of whether you start with Neesmith or start with Richardson, you're getting tenacious defense. You're getting a guy that's going to chase you down and get in your grill. Romeo Langford will give you that same type of defense. I think his is more based on positional IQ rather than tenacity. But you're, you are losing that floor stretching ability with Romeo. His shot did look a bit better towards the end of the year when he came back from injury. It looked a lot more smooth. That hitch didn't seem to be there. But we just don't have a track record of what would make you feel comfortable with him being put on the floor for a floor spacing um, role. I'd much rather have him as a playmaking facilitating role. And then you can argue whether you think he should be at the two alongside smart to split the ball handling responsibilities with him, or, or we're just going into semantics again. But that to me says that no matter what happens during the next few weeks, the internal development is still going to be what, judge what we judge the Celtics season on whether we like to admit it or not this could be another year where it's just all about developing what you've got in stock
2: yeah I mean when you look at the Celtics team for next year to your point Adam it's still gonna even though we're looking to turn the page from last year it's still going to come back to the two biggest parts of development number one do the Jays as much as they've already developed into all-stars do they continue to go up another level does Jason Tatum take another step into that you know further echelon of superstars does Jalen Brown take another little leap and now these guys are already at these you know these incredible peaks so it's extremely difficult to do but then on the back end for the depth portion as you're talking about it's what happens with Romeo. What happens with Aaron Niesmith? Where do these guys go for that development? And that may honestly play a bigger role than any move that's made coming up here over this next week or so with free agency or with any other trades. Those could honestly be more impactful because those almost act as you know as trades themselves if they actually show true development because they add a whole new element that we're not necessarily we're not able to take into account right now. We can predict or we can hope that something may happen, and I know. You know, all of us like Aaron Neesmith, Adam, we know you love Romeo Langford, So we know that there's areas that we think that these guys can become real contributors, but it's just not a fact yet. So we still have to see how that plays out. So it will be interesting to see how, how important that comes to be once we get into the season.
0: Well, I, I think, I think oh, go ahead, Adam. No, go ahead.
1: I was just going to ask a question. It would have changed topic. Go for it, bro.
0: Well, I was just going to say like with Neesmith, right? And he's someone that developed so much throughout the year. And everybody said he would have benefited from summer league and from a normal training camp. And he's going to get that this year. You know, all the guys that we wanted to develop last year, we had to do it in the COVID season. Now, although COVID's back on the rise and all that, we have a summer league. So I think we're going to learn a lot about Aaron Neesmith and about the younger guys on the roster in the next couple weeks, which I'm super excited about. If Aaron Neesmith can, can develop, there's no reason why he can't based on what we saw at the end of the year that he can't be in the rotation. Now he's not going to be the type of playmaker that Josh Richardson is. Just put on five minutes of Josh Richardson highlights and you'll see 10 plays that nobody on the Celtics bench could make last year, right? He's a far superior playmaker than anything the Celtics had on the bench last year. But Niece, I mean, I'm holding out high hopes for the kid. It, maybe it's not going to happen in year two, but I think that he's a guy that could certainly make an impact on this team. And during the Jays' next, you know, the the next three years of the Jays, I think Aaron Nismith's e. a piece that we should definitely hold on to.
1: So that was where I was leading to. Do you think that? Okay, so for me, I'm entering free agency expecting trades rather than signings in the free agent market. Obviously, they're going to try and pick a guy up, whether that be a wing, whether it be a guard, mm-hmm. a center. We we don't know where, where they're at right now. But I do think that trades are going to be how Brad realistically starts to maneuver this team. He's created a new TPE from moving on from Thompson, uh, or at least that's the Notion as we stand, it was meant to be done coming into one TPE, Fernando coming into the remnants mm-hmm. of another, and then you create that. Christian Tom obviously that might not go that way, but if he, if Brad Stevens has created that nine million dollar TPE. We'll probably see him try and use that. We'll see. Could Romeo be a guy that goes out? Could Marcus Smart be a guy that's traded? There's so many moving parts right now, but I do agree with you. And unfortunately, as much as I love Romeo and I do believe he's got the high ceiling, I think because of the fact that he also has the lowest floor, he could be a guy that gets traded as well. Grant Williams, I don't think he's safe right now. I just think there's so much fluidity to what Brad Stevens could do, needs to do, and most likely wants to do that, what the, the roster we're talking about now by the end of next week, I'll be really shocked if it looks the same. By the end of two weeks' time, I'll be even more shocked. And a name I want to throw out there to you guys if we're talking about needing additional shooting and summer league is going to be their new addition, who's most likely going to be a two way guy that I personally believe could go down the Carson Edwards route and end up earning himself a guaranteed contract at the end of summer league is Sam Hauser. How do you guys like, um? He looks legit as a scoring presence. His defense is ridiculously bad. We don't need to talk about that. <laughs> like, it, it, it's offensively bad. Like, I'm, I'm offended when I see how poor it is. Just a lack of athleticism, a lack of um, a lack of positional awareness. But offensively, like that dude was 0.4 percent away from a 50-40-90 college season mm. last year, and that 0.4 percent was at the free throw line. Could have been as simple as one or two free throws to, yeah. that he missed, and that's a big stat line to have. But he was a four-year college guy, redshirted a year, so effectively he was a five-year college guy. I think him coming in and just giving you a scoring presence as your 12th to 15th man off the bench... Is super important. If you want
2: someone that's unproven, at least bring in someone that can shoot lights out, right? Yeah. I mean, I think theoretically, this is the type of player that I've really wanted on the Celtics. I've talked about it before with you, Adam. Talked about it on Greg and I's 617 podcast before. I've really wanted a guy that's in that Kyle Corver, Duncan Robinson type mold that just by being on the court creates gravity and space because you just can't leave him. You know, he's that knocked down of a shooter. Now, I do think that these, those type of three point specialists, the way I think of them, is And I'm going to make an American football reference here, so I, that, I think you'll understand, Adam, but just in case. So I think it's like running backs. So like running backs in the NFL, you never want to really pay them their second contract. You don't want to give them that big contract. You want to find them on that deal. I feel like three-point specialists, we just saw, you know, Joe Harris, Duncan Robinson's about to get a bag. They're getting, you know, Burton's got eight to fifteen to $20 million. I think it's probably too much of your, you know, roster capital to spend on just a guy that's primarily – a three-point specialist, but if you can get him in those early stages, like Miami's been able to capitalize on with Duncan Robinson over the last few years, that's, yeah, that's, that's the sweet spot for it. And so that's, maybe that's Hauser. I don't know. We'll see if what he did in college will translate. And if it does translate, if it, how quickly it can translate to the NBA. (laughs) And you've already touched on his defense, but what he could theoretically bring, you know, to the to the Celtics roster right now with his shooting is something I would love to see, but just not overpay for. So maybe he fits that mold.
1: More importantly, as well, sorry, Greg, go ahead, man.
0: No, was, I mean, Duncan Robinson, I think, is is the dream with Sam Hauser, right? They're both six foot eight. Um, Duncan Robinson his defense when he first came into the league was atrocious he's developed as a, a good positional defender he he's put on a whole bunch of weight and he uses his strength now and his size you know so you, you can't teach height and Duncan Robinson is a tall dude um, so he doesn't get exposed as much as you would think he would um, there are obviously still moments where his, um, his, his you know his lack of quickness and athletic skills definitely shine um, in a negative way but Duncan Robinson can make such a huge difference. And Sam Hauser, although I'm not, you know, I'm not going to lie and say that I've seen like a ton of Sam Hauser tape. I do remember him being a great lights out shooter and the stats back that up. So if you're the Celtics, why not? Why not take a a shot at him rather than a taco fall or rather than a five foot nine Tremont Waters or, you know, um, Javante Green, who's just an athletic freak. Why not find someone who has a skill that is in high demand right now and hope that you can figure out the rest of the game?
1: Yeah, the most important thing for me, as Will said, with these guys being overpaid, not overpaid, but paid. Mm-hmm. You know, guys like Duncan Robinson's going to be getting paid this year. Um, for me, when you look at guys like Brim Forbes, who is, again, just a, a three-point shooter, guys like that are just very much a one-skilled player. They are valuable in the regular season, and their value soon declines once you get deep into the playoffs. If you can just shoot and you can't defend, then you're not going to see much floor time once the real games come around and once the real big ballers decide they want to turn up. So for that point, having these shooters to get you to that to those games, to get you that far, having them on a cheap contract is fine, committing large amounts of cap to those guys, knowing that once you get down into a deep playoff series and you need to rely on defense and versatility... Well, now you've committed too much cap to the wrong sort of player, and this is how you start to get trapped in that cycle of a second-round exit, similar to what Portland have done over the years. So I I agree, finding these guys on cheap deals, letting them earn that, like, what's the word? Is it make their bones with you? And then sending them on their way and trying to get some value in return makes a bunch of sense to me. That pretty much... Wraps us up for the day. I mean, there's a lot going on right now. I feel Brad Stevens is doing a great job. He's at least using the TPs. He seems to be making use of everything that he's got in front of him. He also doesn't seem to really care what anybody else thinks because no no first-time GM really wants to bring in Chris Dunn as one of their first trades. So uh, I don't think he cares what any of us have to say, which is a good thing because he's he's just laser-focused. I think that this role could suit him a lot. Guys, anything you want to touch on before we let everybody continue with their lovely
2: Monday? Uh, not too much, man. Just really, you know, dealer Brad, he's out here keeping us on the edge of our seats. We got to be ready for these emergency podcasts that I feel like are are going to be in our future, whether that's this offseason or during the season. But uh, Brad's making moves, man. But I'm excited to see what happens here. Just wanted to Really quick as we wrap up, you're going to be joining us on the Six One Seven podcast. We're going to do a live free agency show. So really excited to be able to react in real time with the two of you. May maybe have a couple guests come on and join us. Uh, reacting live time, just going to be refreshing that Twitter feed, seeing what Woj bombs, Shams bombs come in, and uh, yeah, we'll hit y'all with some reactions. So if y'all like the three man weave here. We're bringing it over to the other stream on Monday or later today, depending on when y'all might be listening to this. Uh, definitely check us out at Green Envy Pod, and uh, we hope y'all will join us.
1: I will be there. I will retweet. So if you're following me on socials, then you're going to see it pop up in your social feed. Um, if you don't want to come through, then unfortunately you're missing out because those guys just talk for hours and hours and hours and hours. And hours.
0: <laughs> yeah, that, that's all I really have to plug today, man. Uh, other than that, fall Black Sheep Optimist, you know, bump the music. And I, I appreciate everyone who's uh, reached out from this pod and found Black Sheep Optimist music, had a, a bunch of people do that. So if you're digging it, we got new music on the way. But I'm excited to see how many people tune into the live stream. Man, we had 1,500 people tune in on, uh, on Friday with Tom Westerholm and Coach Spins, which was crazy. Um, and hopefully we can break that number this time.
1: What was fun was it was 1,500 live viewers and then another 1,000 people watched it after we were done. That was insane. Like, great, great numbers. Uh, 1,500 live is just, you know, I feel like I'm on a live radio station at that point. <laughs> I will be with Greg and Will tomorrow. Um, no, I won't. I'll be with Greg and Will later today when you're listening. Tomorrow for us, later today for you. As usual, if you've liked the show, please leave that five-star written review. If you're using an Apple device, it makes me feel happy. It does a great deal for the show, helps us show up to people's recommendations. Honestly, I can't um, understate how much that actually helps. So please consider doing that. If you're not using an Apple device, word of mouth works perfectly. Hey, we listen to the three-man weave on the Celtics part, and these guys are just crushing it. And we will be back on Wednesday. We've had a month of inconsistencies, but you know, there's not really been much to talk about. There's going to be a bunch now, so we'll be back onto our three-a-week schedule, so we will catch you on Wednesday. Oh, and uh, Greg, do you want to lead him out with what sounds playing?
0: Yeah, this one's called d by Black Sheep Optimists. Ain't disrespecting you haters, I ain't sweating your opinion. Y'all are testing my patience, never did it for a check. I've been impressed with the f-